Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, folks. Our Wimbledon coverage this year is sponsored by Local Tennis Leagues, the home of friendly, competitive tennis in the UK. With over 10,000 players in local tennis leagues up and down the country, it's never been easier to find someone locally with a similar ability to have a hit with. It really is tennis on your terms, competitive and with total control of when and where you play over eight week rounds. It's also a fun way to get fit, meet new people, make the most of your local park or tennis venue and get those competitive juices flowing. And it's absolutely open to all standards. You just need to be 18 or over to play. So whether you're at the beginning of your tennis journey like me or a master on the court like me, there's something for everyone. Once you're signed up, there's also the chance to win prizes, play for points and receive a free tube of tennis balls just for playing your matches. You also get a host of other great benefits, including access to the Wimbledon ballot. So what are you waiting for? Join Local Tennis Leagues today at www.localtennisleagues.com and use our exclusive checkout code WEEKLY50 in capitals for 50% off your £18 entry fee. That's www.localtennisleagues.com, WEEKLY50 at the checkout. The link is in the description. So get ready to play some friendly competitive tennis on a court near you. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim on today's Wimbledon Round 4 Catch-Up, sponsored by local tennis leagues. Simona Halep swats away Paola Medusa. Cam Norrie is the last Brit standing. And Roger Federer returns for the Centenary Centre Court Celebrations. Kim, today is the 4th of July and we are here to catch up on round four at Wimbledon at Tennis Weekly HQ. We are coming off the back of Rafael Nadal defeating Botic van der Zandschulp in three sets. It was a little bit nervy towards the end. I thought we were going to be recording maybe 20 minutes before we are now with uh, Rafa 5-2 up, but then being taken to a, a tie break. But yeah, he was able to, to get it done in the end. And, you know, obviously you're a Rafa fan. How were your fingernails during that third set? Because Bottic van der Zandschulp, he did he did ask some questions there about whether he was going to take it to a fourth set and open up all sorts of what I feel is Wimbledon's like Pandora's box with <laughs> light, the roof, curfew, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, we all know how the roof can change the dynamics of a match. So I was very pleased that Rafa was able to avoid <laughs> the roof. Uh, you know, he did make a bit of a meal of it, uh, getting tight and, you know, not being able to serve out at 5-4 in the third. But getting it done on the tie break, I think that's the first tie break he's played uh, all tournaments. So, um, yeah, relieved in the end. It was definitely actually overall an easier match than I envisaged for Rafa. Uh, you know, he was able to get onto Van der Zandschulp's serve a lot easier. And uh, yeah, it wasn't as, as close as I thought, actually, uh, but an entertaining match regardless. I'm sure the next one will be a lot tougher 
against Taylor Fritz. But um, yeah, very pleased we didn't go down the route of the roof. I mean, the roof seems to be coming into play a lot, though, doesn't it? It, it was in action last night with with Novak and, and Tim van Rijthoven. And uh, I mean, we've only got hospitality to blame for that, haven't we, Joel? You and your, um, <laughs> oh, you and your yes. espresso, espresso martinis. <laughs> well, exactly. I know it's a hard, it's a very hard life. Um, no, but I mean, yeah, all seriousness. Yeah, the roof has been coming into a play a lot in this tournament. And the thing I find interesting about it is that I feel like the, you know, the reason the roof came into existence initially was more due to rain and inclement weather and when it rained we needed something to keep the tennis going and that is where you know that was the roof's kind of role to play but the more the more I feel like it's being used the more I keep feeling like the roof is being used not because the weather's bad but because the light is bad and it's been a case quite a lot this week particularly when that third match on center has been a men's match I feel like it's the worst position uh you know to be in uh, on a sh- on a on a show court because you're just not sure um you know if your match is going to get done you might be worried about the curfew you've got to wait for that little uh, delay with the roof closing you can have another warm up it just adds a completely different dynamic to the you know to the proceedings and yeah as you as you you know as you know with with Rafa that feels like it would go against him particularly if he came up against uh, you know a a big server but um yeah it's it's interesting i think the ro- the roof's role i think has changed over the years and perhaps that means that like wimbledon is an outdoor tournament and whether we should be starting earlier given you know we should be making the most of of the daylight and we shouldn't be using the roof to make this arguably an indoor tournament when the weather is is okay outside yeah, and I mean, I think they've always pretty much started centre court around 1pm, but it just mm. seems that, I mean, I know it's one thirty on centre now, but I don't know, it just seems like we're getting a lot more matches going later, but I suppose back in the day they would have just had to curtail them because of the light and, mm. and rain. But it, ideally, yeah, you would start the action like an hour earlier, but, you know, obviously people in hospitality, they can't finish their lunch before half past mm. 12, can they? So it's all dictated... Just make it a posh brunch or a posh breakfast. And yeah, bottomless maybe, brunch. Maybe start it earlier. Yeah, yeah exactly. I pancakes. mean, yeah, it was. I mean, I had a, I did have a great lunch, and it was amazing. Michelle Rue came to my table mm. and uh, greeted us, and yeah, the uh, the lamb, <laughs> the lamb was exquisite, and uh, yes, it was, it was fantastic. But yeah, I do wonder if they could, you know, look at that. I feel like that, you know, this is a tradition that that will die hard, and. You know, hospitality is a big part of of Wimbledon. There are people there who want to have that social occasion, that social element, as well as um, the tennis. But it feels like for the players, they would like to, you know, they would like to start earlier. I think Novak Djokovic yesterday called out and he, I think, has heard that there are discussions on whether they start half an hour earlier. Who knows, maybe an hour earlier, but still retain that sort of that specialness of, of playing on centre court, but just making sure that there's a little bit more, I feel, buffer time when it comes to the end of the day and making sure matches get played and they don't carry over and start affecting the competition. So I, I get it from that perspective. I will say though, Kim, I was under the roof for, for Djokovic, Tim Van Rijthoven, and I was under the roof for Andy Murray versus John Isner. As a fan, being there when the roof is closed, going into the late night it does 
it does add something. There is that special atmosphere there, you know, going late, you feel kind of like you're getting your money's worth. Oh, this is a little bit of a bonus. And it really just sort of ups the atmosphere. So there is sort of a part of me that I quite almost like having this, you know, these matches go late because it just adds a little bit more extra, extra, I feel, value, certainly for the fans, I think, inside the stadium. Yeah, I mean, it is it is good fun. And also just at home watching, like it's a great for mm. a TV audience, you know, evening match, yeah. everyone gets home from work, has the dinner and the tennis is still on. So, I mean, I can totally see the appeal. Um, but I think, you know, they have got to think about the players, which, you know, is, is what this tournament is all about, really. And what they, you know, maybe they could do a survey monkey, send it out to all the players, <laughs> see what they would prefer. And maybe they could meet them halfway, like, you know, make it all half an hour early. I think that's that's not too much to ask. Um, although I am enjoying the fact that you found your lamb to be exquisite. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard you describe food <laughs> as exquisite. You're not. You're normally like I've you're normally described it as beige, haven't I? You, well, your diet is normally fried chicken and Haribo, <laughs> so I'm glad that you've got some like vegetables on the weekend, John. Kim, that is absolutely shocking. Revealing my eating habits to all of our listeners, <laughs> they won't want to listen anymore. They'll be like, "Oh no, I've had enough of Joel and his his fried chicken and his Mackey D's." Um, but yeah, we'll have to see if they make any changes i'm sure there'll be lots mm. of changes to some extent next year whether that's with the way they do the ticketing and the queuing and, and all of that i mean what, what do you what would you want when when do you think is the best time to start on, on center court i think go back to one it always used to be one they've just made it that extra half mm. hour so that it doesn't start at the same time as court one i guess which mm. must be for logistical reasons but maybe make court one half past 12 and, and center one is, is that is that why they it did that i thought it was more of like an exclusivity thing and they wanted to make center feel like the best and the, the most special and therefore they give it that that you know that uh that final final slot as opposed to like starting at the same time as another court I don't know if it's for TV or I think they started doing it during like the COVID last year so that people were arriving mm. at different times to limit crowds and then maybe they just stuck with mm. it. But I don't know. I'd start at 11am. Well, I'd, start, I'd just start at 11am. Other, other slams do. They they schedule, you know, more matches, start at 11. Mm. I mean, well, they have night sessions as well, don't they? Whereas Wimbledon have unofficial night sessions now, basically. But um, yeah, I mean, let's talk about the tennis today because we had a couple of uh, five setters in the men's side of things to, to start the day off with. So, I mean, out on court two, arguably the, the match of the day, really. Alex de Menor against match of the tournament. Christian Garin. Yeah, exactly. Um, Christian Garin coming from two sets to love down. Also two match points down at, at one point in the fifth set. Um, to win in a, a last set tie break. I mean, I did not see that coming when, you know, Dimonor kind of sealed the second set. I thought, oh, this is quite a, you know, straightforward three set victory now. But, you know, fair play to Christian Garrett into his first quarterfinal at a slam. And, um, you know, he, he fought magnificently um, in the end to, to cap it off with, yeah, 10 6 in that, in that last set tie break. Yeah, he showed a lot of heart, I think, from two sets down I think you, you know you need to in order to you know win in five sets I think that's the first time it's happened this tournament a player winning from two sets to love down so it just shows I think just how much belief he had regardless of of what position you know he found himself in and I think there is a little bit of a you know same story for Alex de Menor in terms of lots of huffing puff, huffing and puffing lots of you know great shot making and you know, X, Y, and Z all around the court. But at the end of the day, sometimes 
he isn't just able to kind of break through and get over the line. And this will be a defeat that I think in particular hurts him because, you know, we've said it before, Kim, Christian Garin, he is not a grass court player or he, we don't feel like he's a, a grass court player. We associate more with the clay, but perhaps we shouldn't. Perhaps we shouldn't because, you know, he made round four here last year. He's gone one step further this year and got to the quarterfinals, but he really did not show a lot of form coming into the tournament. I actually think he lost to Dumanor, um in Eastbourne um, in, the, in the lead up. And, um, you know, to turn that around, come out um, in the championship tiebreak, very, very impressive. I feel like even though he is in the quarterfinal, as soon as that happened, we just thought, oh, it's an instant win for whoever wins between Kyrgios and, and Nakashima, which I think is you know a bit unfair on on Garin. But you got to think after what four four hours thirty four minutes, we, we're going to have to be looking at how he recovers and starts off you know in his quarterfinal. Given yeah the amount of energy, both you know physical energy and mental energy from coming back from from two sets down that could leave him particularly fatigued. Yeah, we we see this quite a lot, don't we? In the, in the next match, the mm. players just don't have um, the the capacity to to really go for it because they're just there's such an overhang from the match before. And he said at the end of the match that he's just exhausted, um, and unsurprisingly so. He just went for it in that that final set tiebreak mm. and tried to be as aggressive as possible, uh, which paid off. But yeah, I mean, you've got to be in it to win it. So he will hopefully have like a day and a half to recover he's got Kyrgios next which you know definitely Kyrgios is the favorite for that one Mm. um given how he's been playing and and you know he came through in five sets today against Nakashima slight concern for Kyrgios fans over the the shoulder which seemed to be troubling Nick at the start of the the match especially when he dropped that first set but he seemed to um to improve as it went on I think the painkillers probably paid off and uh, that fifth set he was uh, able to up it and uh, and get the job done um pleased for Nakashima though in the sense that it wasn't you know he, he took it to five sets I think he did a really good performance very commendable very calm which is what you need to be against Kyrgios but um yeah Nick Kyrgios Christian Garin quarterfinal I think that's that's on Kyrgios to lose there Definitely. I think, you know, just, just before we move on to talking about Nick Kyrgios, I think the other thing with, with Kish and Garin and, and the more I think we look at, you know, the, the grass courts at Wimbledon and how they have changed, I do think, you know, they play a little bit more like a hard court. The ball doesn't go as much through the court as it used to. We tend to see, you know, not as many serve and volleys. And perhaps that opens it up to, you know, players like Christian Garin who, Maybe, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago, these sorts of players, they just would not have had a, you know, a chance, uh, you know, during the, the grass court season because of the way the court played. But as it's changed, it may have opened it up for, you know, for players like him that even though I wouldn't necessarily say his game is suited or well suited for, you know, a grass court, it still gives him a fighting chance. And when you get into, you know, those rally situations, as he was doing in Demonor, it was very tight at times, but ultimately, you know, he was coming out on top. So I do think there was an interesting insight there in terms of what it says about the, you know, the courts and how they have changed. But certainly one player whose game is very well suited to grass is Nick Kyrgios and his big booming serve and all of the, all the tricks of the trade. I mean, we didn't really see it in that match, Kim, against Nakashima. I think we got one underarm serve and that was pretty much it. This was not, you know, the fireworks of the previous round of, of Nick Kyrgios 
and Stefanos Tsitsipas, which I still don't feel like the, the dust has really settled on that. But um, yeah, it was um, it was nonetheless impressive, I think, from Kyrgios, particularly that fifth set after losing that fourth. I thought he was just going to kind of implode as normal, you know, facing adversity. He, you know, wilts and just lets it go completely. But there was none of that. And um, yeah, he came through in that fifth set 6-2 and, and really, again, found a, a level that, that Nakashima couldn't deal with. But um, yeah, I think it was a good it was a good performance for him from him. It it was less of the, his, you know, the histrionics. And I think it just, again, shows that when he does focus and when arguably I think Nakashima helped in the sense he's not a guy who's going to combust on court. He's not going to he's not a guy that Kyrgios is going to be able to pick a fight with because he just wants to get on with his game. But I do think when Kyrgios is focused, and we saw that more or less in that Nakashima match, he can just play some brilliant tennis. And it got him through to, you know, a quarterfinal. His first one at Wimbledon since his debut, I think, what, seven, I think seven years ago. Yeah, I think it might have been 2014. So eight years ago. Mm, eight and years ago. I mean, he's 27 now. You know, he was saying he feels like a veteran because, I mean, and he, he is really in the sense that he's, he isn't that young person just bursting onto the scene as he was back in 2014. So like, he, it, it is about time that he upped it. Do you think this is his now or never moment? Well, I mean, I don't think now or never. I think um, this is his best opportunity to mm. to go as deep as possible um, in a slam. And I think he's got the best opportunity he could really hope for to, to reach the semifinals. Um, and I mean, the only concern maybe is, is that if, if there is a shoulder issue, I think he's had shoulder issues before and he's had to pull out of, of mm. things when he's had, you know, good chances. But it just goes to show that he can behave when he wants to. And, he, you know, he can just play tennis and it's always more pleasant to see a match where he isn't getting all worked up. So I was pleased that there wasn't any antics really today, f- at the very least. I mean, it is fascinating that we are getting more and more into uncharted territory for Nick Kyrgios. So certainly territory, we haven't been with him for a while. And, you know, a lot of the defeats we've seen from him recently have been the result of mental implosions, whether that's from the, you know, the the player across the court getting frustrated with himself or with the umpire but there is also that physical fitness aspect of his of his game that perhaps we don't you know necessarily talk about but it's still there and the more and more we get into this tournament it, again could be a factor in terms of you know his body how it holds up because he although may you know be, may be training out in in Australia you know when you know covid happened and you know, he didn't play really much of the, the you know, the clay season. I think he played that one, what, green clay event in, in the United States. But he's not really had a lot of match practice, um, you know, this season. And maybe that could count against him as we get deeper into the tournament. And, you know, his body's going to feel something maybe he hasn't felt in a, in a long time in terms of best of five set tennis, consecutive matches, fourth round, quarterfinal, semifinal, who knows, maybe final that's a lot of tennis and, and maybe his body is going to be under some serious strain that maybe it's it's not really been there before. There is that and you know previously I think he hasn't had the best off-court routine you know he said before the Rafa match he played three years ago I think they played in the in the second round he was down the pub you know prior to that like the night before. Well he wanted a glass of wine in his uh, press conference afterwards. Well I know 
but that might be at home rather than the dog and fox in the village. I, I just feel like his <laughs> attitude, he, he's realising that he needs to kind of chill a bit more outside of outside of the, the matches and be a bit more professional, uh, which, you know, it has been known to pay dividends being a bit more professional. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I fully expect him to, to beat Christian Garin. But I mean, Garin is obviously a very... You know, it's, it's a bit of a stalwart. Um, you know, long lot of um, lot of grit in his uh, in his game, as we saw today against Alex de Menor. So definitely not one to discount, especially if there potentially is yet yeah, any physical issues for for Kyrgios. I mean, on the other side of this half of the draw, we've got a, a quarter final now as well between Rafa Nadal and Taylor Fritz. So this is a repeat of the Indian Wells final from from this year, which we saw Taylor Fritz win. Uh, against against Rafa, yeah. So I mean, Taylor Fritz, first of all, he's been coming through very very nicely in um in not in, in the draw. Yeah, no no sets dropped. Uh, not much sort of chat or fuss really about him. He's just going through very nicely. Uh, he kind of you know a very standard match today against the qualifier Jason Kubler of Australia. Um, I think you know Fritz was very very dominant on serves three one and four. So I mean. He's he he won Eastbourne, didn't he, prior to to Wimbledon? So he hasn't lost a match on grass for for a short while. So I think this is going to be really tough for Rafa. Obviously, Rafa coming through against uh, Zan, Van der Zandschulp in straight sets as well. Um, this will be the match I think on on Wednesday that's going to be close. I mean, if Taylor Fritz can keep up his um, his game, keep serving well, you know, I don't think he's lost his serve very much at all this tournament. So. Um, I'm intrigued to see a rematch from Indian Wells earlier in the year. And moving on to the women's matches from today, Kim. I mean, the match I was most looking forward to was perhaps the one that was the biggest disappointment. And that was Simona Halep versus Paula Badosa on centre court. Simona Halep returning to centre court for the first time uh, since she won the trophy uh, back in 2019. And yeah, she came out against... The Spanish number four seed won 6-1-6-2. I think that was her first win against a top five opponent on a grass court. Gets Amanda Anisimovin next. And uh, yeah, this was a match that took me by surprise because Bedosa against Kvitova, I mean, that was a really high quality match. And uh, I actually think through the tournament so far, Bedosa has played the higher tennis. I think she needed to against Kvitova in order to get the win. But Simona Halep, Returning to centre court, I don't know if, you know, the site makes her feel even more inspired. You know, she's got the new coaching set up with Mutoglu as well. It all seems to be working very well at the moment. And um, this was a very standout performance for her. And given that she's the only woman left in the draw who is a Grand Slam champion, you feel like, you know, for me, this was a this was a performance that arguably puts her as the favourite for the tournament. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was a champion's performance. Many people were saying she's finally getting the chance to go on centre court, um, you know, returning to the scene of her triumph in 2019. And and what a way to to kind of say, yeah, I, I am a former champion, you know, only losing three games. I thought this match was definitely good. I thought, to be honest, it had three sets written all over it. I was expecting it to be a lot lot closer as I think many people were but you know she actually they did play in Madrid earlier in the year and Halep also um, 
you know, dished out a, a very comprehensive victory there. So perhaps she just loves a matchup with with Paola Bedosa. And um, Bedosa just seemed quite quite nervy. She never really got going, hitting a lot of unforced errors. So we know she can mm. play better than that. And she certainly did against Kvitova the other day. But yeah, I mean, I was super pleased to see Halep um, come through. I think, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd personally love her to, to come through and win another title here. Um, and if she can keep up how she played today, I think she's got a, a really good shout. I mean, yeah, like you said, she's got Amanda and Isimova next. Um, they played recently as well and Halep won that one very easily. So um, perhaps that, that bodes well for, for Halep. But Anisimova will be tough. You know, she's very, you know, big hitting, mm. um, very comfortable over Harmony Tan today out on um, court one and obviously into the quarterfinals of a Grand Slam for the second time. And you know, we know she's she's capable of going deeper as she, as she did at Roland Garros before. Um, so I think that's going to be, yeah. I mean, Halep has not had an easy draw, has she? Um, Mukova in the first round, you know, um, Bedosa in this round, like now Anisimova. So if she does go deep, she's she's had to beat some some pretty decent opposition to get there. Yeah, and Anisimova, she really is having a season or having a Grand Slam run, certainly, that reminds me of those, you know, those years ago when she broke out, I think, as a, a 17-year-old and reaching the, you know, the French Open semi-final. She was just too much for, for Harmony Tan today. Um, I feel like she very much overpowered Tan. It made me think, you know, why didn't, you know, why why couldn't other players, you know, you know, do that and, and exploit, I feel, Tan's limitations on on the court I mean Serena Williams I feel will be kicking herself that she wasn't able to execute the sort of game that the Anna Samova was was able to because I feel like they have both quite similar styles and Anna Samova was just able to as I said just overpower her opponent hitting winners from the back of the you know back of the court and Tan and her slice slice and dice forehand just wasn't really just really wasn't doing much for you know much for her and Anna Samova was just kind of gobbling up all those opportunities so um yeah I'll be in I think obviously it'll be a much tougher opponent across the net fan and some over when she has Simona Halep in the quarterfinals and uh, you know interestingly Anderson over defeated Halep on that run um you know at the French Open those few years ago so um you know mm. maybe she'll draw on that experience you know when they meet and maybe it'll be a much closer affair than you know what it was you know a few days ago in uh, in Bad Homburg so you know, I think it's a different stage and I think both players love playing on this stage. I hope Simona's back on centre court because I do think she does, you know, revel in those those environments. And I, I genuinely think that having you know won the tournament um, and being a, a Grand Slam champion, I think will help her, you know, really kind of settle early on. And Anisimova, I think, has just got a... She's just not going to be intimidated, I think, by... Simona Halep and just kind of play her game I feel like she can sometimes give a little kind of too many unforced errors you know too early on and already she's kind of like you know three love down in in a match but um yeah it'll be a a, certainly a tough tough and intriguing matchup I think for both of them yeah and another um well potentially intriguing matchup I I feel like this one might be a bit more one-sided in the other section Elena Rybakina uh, winning through against Petra Mm. Martic today 7-5-6-3 I mean you said to me on WhatsApp Joel you said oh she could be a dark horse for this title Rybakina no one's really been talking about her yet we know on her day she has the potential to to beat anyone and, and go on really 
solid win streaks. You know, she's at the start of the season, like in 2020, um, she was on a a real, you know, winning surge. And it's been a while um, since we've seen that kind of performances from her. She hasn't really been able to get into a groove this year for, for various reasons. I think she's had COVID and, and some illness and injury and, and everything. But it's nice that she's putting together some wins here. You know, not not much uh, form-wise going into the championships, uh, to be honest. But, you know, she's got four victories under her belt. She's got Tom Lianovic in the quarterfinals, which I think is certainly winnable for, for Rebecca. So I'd, I'd be looking at her to, to reach the semis, um, to be quite honest with you. I thought, you know, she's been playing some decent, decent tennis. Um, Tom Lianovic herself came through in three sets over Elise Cornet, uh, who was the conqueror of Iga Sviontek. Uh, Tom Lianovic coming back from a set down, 4-6-6, This is her second quarterfinal uh, on the trot at, at SW19. So, I mean, that's that's fantastic in itself to back up her her performance at this tournament last year. Although she's not going to get any, she's going to lose all her points regardless, of course. Um, but yeah, please for Tomlanovic to to reach this stage again of the tournament. Kim, I enjoyed, despite the fact she reached the quarterfinals here last year, that her dad had not booked accommodation for week two at Wimbledon <laughs> this year. I mean, what kind of, what kind of, uh, what kind of impression does that leave on your on your daughter? I think in the in the in the interview afterwards, she was like, "Dad, find me some accommodation for uh, for week two. So, um, yeah, perhaps you know it, it surprised you know it surprised uh, you know Tommy Anich is his father, um, but you know based on the way she's been playing, and you know again, I think she's a player who just likes to play on on a grass court. Um, she did have a bit of a battle on her hands against Elise Cornet, but um. You know, after she, I think, settled into the match and she grew into it, there really was kind of only one outcome. And for Tom Janovic, it was interesting to hear that, you know, she said last year that she didn't, you know, enjoy it as much as she has been this year. And I think it's fascinating how, you know, last year, Ash Barty, all the focus was was on her from a you know an Australian point of view. Now Ash Barty is is out of the picture. I feel like she's just sort of reveling in this position a little bit more and and as I said it's it's translated onto the tennis court in terms of having that freedom and just that kind of feeling that I can just you know go out and and play my game and um against Cornet who's a very obviously experienced player she was able to execute her game plan and uh you know come through and come through in the end in three sets yeah and I think they played this time well they played in the second round of Wimbledon last year and Tom Lanovich mm you know, one through in three sets for that one. So, I mean, I feel like every time you play Elise Cornet, you're kind of got to expect a potential roller coaster match to some extent. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think Tom Lianovic, maybe she works better when she's like buoyed, you know, bo- boosted on and buoyed on by by defiance, like wanting to prove her dad wrong, Um, you know, for him <laughs> not believing that she could get to the second week again. I don't know. But um, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, she's one of the players that is, is really going to suffer, I think, from the, the lack of ranking points. I think that her ranking is going to go down to like 70 in the world and she's at 44 at the moment, which is a real shame because she's obviously backed up her performance from last year, yet rankings wise it's it's quite a big drop but I mean perhaps she can she can go further um and and then I'm sure she'll be absolutely chuffed a bit to have got to the semis or whatever but yeah I think that's gonna be quite an intriguing tie I'm gonna tip Rebecca for the win there but I think that 
um, Tom Manovich could well spring a surprise. I mean, Rebecca has said that she herself has kind of come into the tournament feeling very relaxed um, because she hasn't really had great preparation due to sort of sickness and, and what have you. So I guess she's come in without much expectation, which is obviously, you know, often, often for the best, really, when you just you don't sort of you put so much pressure on yourself. We often find that players tend to do a lot better and, and surprise themselves. So I think there's a lot to be said for not having all those nerves and stress in you. Um, but there we go. I mean, Vibakina hits the ball so hard. And as I said, at times, it is flawless tennis. She's just hitting these unbelievable number of winners and not many unforced errors. And she does go through, I feel, those purple patches in matches it's just a question of how long that purple patch is and whether she can kind of sustain it so um I think it will certainly be a fascinating matchup and who knows we'll see if, if Tom Janovic is able to go one better than she did last year indeed I mean let's take a quick break now but we'll be back in the second half where we'll be looking back on all the action from day seven uh the first time play has happened properly on a month on a Sunday even at the championships so do not go anywhere Welcome back to our Wimbledon Round 4 catch-up, sponsored by Local Tennis Leagues. And now we're going to move back on to looking, um, well, back at the Sunday's action, which began, Joel, not with tennis, really, uh, on the centre court at least, but with uh, a centenary parade of past champions. Um, this this all sort of happened before the, the Heather Watson-Yule-Niemeyer match um, got underway. It lasted longer than the Niemeyer Watson Well, match. basically, yeah. I mean, a lot of people <laughs> were basically just here for this, weren't they? They wanted to see Federer step back on that court again. The reception that he got, uh, but not, not just him, but we had, you know, obviously Rafa and, and Novak as well, and Halep and uh, Kerber and and Margaret Court, uh, oh wait, no, not Margaret Court. No, less said about Margaret Court, the better. Yeah, her reception was, <laughs> was fairly muted, uh, as we can obviously understand. But yeah, a whole host of, of former champions. No Serena, though. I've, I've heard she is still in London, but she didn't want to turn up, uh, evidently. But uh, And no Navratilova, because unfor- unfortunately she tested positive for COVID. But um, yeah, lots of former champions out on court for the, the celebration. Um, what, what did you make of... of of it all, I've, I've I've personally been loving some of the photos behind the scenes. Yeah, no, it's been it's been great. I watched. Um, it's a great trip down memory lane. Listeners, Wimbledon have posted on YouTube the full ceremony, and it was just great to see you know players come through that you know historic walkway onto the court and that mix of current players with yesteryear champions and the way they sort of built up to you know these are your single. Wimbledon champions all the way up to you know the likes of Roger Federer um really kind of was made an occasion of it <laughs> there were a few kind of awkward I think glances certainly between you know Novak and, and Roger I saw there was a little glimpse to each other and then a quick look away so which was which was quite funny but um yeah it was great to see everyone out there however Kim I will say and it goes back to that point we had earlier yes this is you know this is this should be celebrated and there should be time for these you know these sorts of moments where we do reflect and and look back but why didn't they just start this like half an hour earlier I feel like the star power on show people were going to turn up for it you know regardless of if they had finished their lamb or not or whatever (laughs) I I just feel like you know this was one of the reasons ultimately that the, the play on center yesterday went so long 
And I do wonder whether they could have just maybe started it half an hour earlier. Yeah, I mean, it did mean that Djokovic against Tim Van Rijthoven, you know, was was going down late. I mean, if that match had gone on any longer, they would have potentially not finished uh, and had to come back today. So not clever planning. I, I certainly think they could have done the celebration slightly earlier. But again, like we were saying, you know, the the hospitality dictates, doesn't it? And I mean, it's a good job that Heather Watson didn't have a, a longer match or that Sinner Alcaraz didn't go five sets because, yeah, we definitely wouldn't have got all the tennis done. So um, it, a bit sort of silly um, from the planning side, again, from from the schedulers. But it was a good event. It was it was good that they did it for the 100 years of, of centre court. Billie Jean King, I, I love her. I was amazed. She, she stayed right to the bitter end uh, for Novak Djokovic, Tim Reithoven, after like 10.30 at night, which just shows that she loves her tennis. But my question, Kim, does she always wear that magenta sort of fuchsia jacket to every sort of uh, tennis uh, she ever goes to? Because I saw her at the Billie Jean King Cup finals in Prague. I'm pretty sure she wore the same same color is have you do you have you ever associated Billie Jean King with a jacket that isn't that that sort of color I know what you mean um yeah she does tend to wear that color a lot doesn't she and <laughs> she did I watched that interview she did with Amol Rajan on the BBC and I, I'm sure I'd have to go back but I'm sure she was wearing pink for that as well I mean <laughs> I think she's someone who obviously loves loves her bright colors and I think it, it goes well with her style so I mean, I'm a big fan of magenta, so I'm down with that. <laughs> <laughs> she loves it as much as I feel uh, Bjorn Borg does love a cream light suit, I feel. <laughs> he always looks very dapper, doesn't he? Mm, I think he's yeah. got better with age. I mean, I wasn't around in his heyday and I know everyone went mad <laughs> for him, but I just think he, he looks so sort of suave um it's it's great I love it when he comes back um and obviously everyone on center court after this you know was having to play with a lot of these great champions watching on so I mean Heather Watson I don't think it really affected her performance but um I was I was slightly disappointed that she wasn't able to to make more inroads against Niemeyer who let's face it we didn't have a clue who she was before this this tournament really and and no offense to her I, you know i was looking back at her results in the build up to wimbledon and there was nothing really that to be honest would have suggested she would have gone on a run here i mean i think she took a set off of kazakina and, and benchic in in warm up events but you know to be into the the quarterfinals of wimbledon at, you know in her first first time in the main draw here it's only her second slam overall um, you know, this is a, a new success, new new young like German star, and and she's obviously got a fantastic game for grass, and it's all coming to fruition nicely for her. Much to the dismay of Heather Watson. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it was really disappointing. You know, for Heather, who knows whether we'll see her, you know, in round four at a Grand Slam again any any time soon. And it was just disappointing that I feel she just wasn't able to execute the game. That we've seen, you know, we've seen her play this tournament. She's played some great tennis, but for some reason or another, just wasn't able to, you know, bring it out, um, you know, in in this match. It was a little bit like Katie Balter played so well against Pliskova um, on the show court, and then put out onto court two. Just wasn't it was just a shadow of herself. And you know, at times in that first set for for Heather, unfortunately, I felt like she was a shadow of herself in you know from earlier on in the tournament and um yeah a little bit disappointed from that kind of perspective but she's overall obviously had a great tournament Niemeyer also has had a impeccable tournament and 
just generally, Kim, German tennis, German ladies have, have had a great tournament because Niemeyer is going to play Tatiana Maria um, in the quarterfinals, an all-German encounter. A bit of a, you know, experience versus youth matchup. Um, but that is because Maria came through Yelena Ostapenko, the number 12 seed, 5-7-7-5-7-5. I was there for it on court one. And Kim... Genuinely, I do not understand how Yelena Ostapenko lost this match. The number of times she was so close to so close to winning, she had match points, but the the longer the match went on, she got more and more frustrated. She managed, I feel, to, to let the particularly the, the defensive play of Maria, you know, with her you know her trademark forehand slice, it just got under the skin of her, and she ultimately imploded by the end of it and. She got a warning and she actually left the court throwing her water water bottle at the chair. Chair fell over and off she went. Yeah, I mean, she should play mixed doubles with, with Nick Kyrgios. I mean, they'd be a, a right <laughs> fire. Oh, that would pair. be amazing. I'd be there for that. That'd be a great pairing. Um, yeah, Ostapenko, I think it could be fair to say that she's sort of defeated herself in a way with the number of unforced errors. You know, obviously she was really going for her shots, um, loads of winners, but as as it as it can be expected, loads of unforced errors as well. Whereas Maria was playing a very tidy little game, especially as the match went on, um, only committing, you know, a handful of errors. I think in the second set she hit zero unforced errors. So um, you know, really tidy game in complete contrast to Ostapenko, who's just um obviously going for it very aggressive. But um yeah, that that forehand slice from Maria just really getting to her as well. <laughs> What I mean, what do you make of that forehand slice? Because I feel like it's a bit of a. I feel like when I've heard it on talked about on on TV, particularly by players from different generations, they obviously. I feel like they just sort of think it's it's not a like forehand slice that is just not a weapon mm. and is a bit of a is a bit of an inferior shot compared to any any other shot, and it should just like almost be a taboo. It shouldn't you should just not be able to have a forehand slice as your dominant shot of choice on your forehand and, and be able to reach a, you know, and be able to reach a quarterfinal. But, you know, it's worked for, for Tatiana Maria. It's worked to a lesser extent for, for Harmony Tan as well, who, you know, reach, reach the fourth round. I mean, what does that say, do you think, about like the forehand slice? Because for me, again, it just shows the sign of the times in terms of great defensive play can frustrate opponents and particularly big hitting opponents who maybe feel like they have to go even bigger when you know they keep the ball low and they take the pace you know take the pace off it and you know arguably I think in that match uh you know Ostapenko at times quite a few times was guilty of of overplaying given the number of unforced errors she made yeah I think there's a time and a place isn't there and I think it depends on the opponent so it can work really well um strategically against big hitters mm. you know you can ruffle their feathers get under their skin it's not going to work against everyone which is probably why Tatiana Maria like has only just got to her first Grand Slam quarterfinal you know it's it's not like she um it, it's not going to work against everyone is it and it's not perhaps the most um standard of pathways to, to making it big um, obviously better late than never is absolutely fantastic she's got to this stage and she's a great competitor and you know obviously a lot of being said about the fact that she's a mum of two and like she's come back after her second maternity leave um, I mean regardless of all that like she deserves to be here she's obviously been playing very very well over the last 
four, uh, well, seven, seven or eight, nine days. Um, but yes, I, I think it's all part. I think it's great if you've got that weapon up your sleeve. If it's just your go-to all the time, like with anything, <laughs> too much of one thing, you know, is, is perhaps too much. You, mm. you need variety. Yeah. So you need variety. Yeah, a bit yeah. of bit of everything. <laughs> she she had a perfectly fine, uh, you know, flat forehand, um, and there were times where she did you know, bring it out, but it's, it wasn't the dominant shot on that, on that wing for her. And, you know, I don't feel like there's a lot of players who, who play that sort of game and, you know, the players who do play that sort of game, we don't really talk about them as, you know, players in, you know, the second week of, of Grand Slam tournaments. So, um, yeah, it's just a little, yeah, just a name, perhaps again, another sign of the times in terms of the, the courts and how they're playing, and how it's a bit different to yesteryear. Exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, we saw with with like the likes of Ash Barty that variety can get you, you know, mm. many places. So I, I certainly don't think Maria should be cutting it out of her game or anything like that. <laughs> oh, but, um, absolutely It not. makes for a great contest when you've got two contrasting styles. And that's what we got, you know, match points saved, uh, comebacks, you know, a bit of drama at the end. And, and it, you know, it was it was a fantastic match. I'm glad you you got a decent match um, as part of your your day out at Wimbledon, Joel. It's, uh, I was very pleased for you. Um, <laughs> we also had... Um, Aside from the, the Watson Niemeyer uh, match, we had Onjibor coming through uh, in straight sets as well um, over um, Elise, Mertens. Elise Mertens, the perennial Belgian. Uh, that I think that match pretty much went par for the course. Um, I wasn't expecting Mertens to to upset Jabor, uh, to be honest. I mean, Mertens pushed Jabor all the way in that first set. And, uh, you know, it was, I was surprised with how well, you know, Mertens played. It was certainly the toughest test of, of Jabour's path so far. I think through the first three rounds, she'd only dropped something like, uh, you know, 13 games, I think. Um, so this was definitely a step up in competition. And again, it just reasserted my, my point of view on Mertens is that she has got like a top 10 defensive game on her hands and um that was at times a real handful for Onjabor but it 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 never felt like she was ever going to get the victory because she can never I feel fully turn defense into attack and more often than not she's playing on the on the back foot and uh Jabor was just making you know making the most of those opportunities and when it did get into that second set you felt like the end of that first set was really kind of pivotal to, you know, to Merton's chances. And uh, as soon as Jabor grabbed the hold of the the momentum, it was very easy for her, I think, to just kind of to come through. But um, yeah, she, again, is a player who's playing with full of confidence. She's put that round one defeat in the French Open to, to one side. And, you know, a lot of people are talking to me about Simona Hallett on Jabor. Please let that be the final. Um and you've got to say, Kim, they're probably the two most most formed players at the moment who are still left in the draw. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a likely slash credible prospect. And I mean, I, that, I think that that would be a very entertaining final. I'm, I'd am i be happy with that. <laughs> um, I mean, sadly, Joel, um, one player that won't be in with a shot is Caroline Garcia because <laughs> her renaissance is temporarily paused. <laughs> uh, she lost, I'm afraid, in the fourth round to Marie Buzkova. Uh, Buzkova was very good. Um, you know, she was she was very tidy, um, really on it from the word go, broke Garcia um, early on. Garcia was able to break back, but Buzkova snatched that first set and then kind of ran away a bit with, with the second. Um, really, really consistent performance from Buzkova. And, you know, 
Glossier not able to to really you know ta- challenge her. Um, unfortunately, she's had a great run, but Buskova through to her first Grand Slam quarter final. Kim, I was watching this whilst eating that lamb. Just just wanted to point that out there. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was um, you know it was a good performance from from Buskova. I I think it's interesting. You know, she's she's played two big hitters so far this tournament in Garcia and Danielle Collins, which I actually think was one of the the matches of, of round one. So she's going to come up against a completely different proposition in terms of the tricks and the trade of, of Onjabor and that variety, you know, we've, we've just kind of spoken about. So I'll be interested to see how she adapts from playing someone like Garcia, where she might get a few more free points, you know, due to that unforced error count rising versus someone like Onjabor who can, you know, play the angles, is going to move Bushkova around the court. She's going to need a different strategy, I think, when it comes, you know, when it comes to a quarterfinal. And um, I think it'll be a, it'll be a tough, it'll be a tough battle for her. I would put Onjabor as the favourite, given the confidence that she's playing with. But certainly Bushkova coming through Garcia, she will be thinking again at the same time, could be an opportunity for me to make a semi-final. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, stranger things have happened. And uh, I mean, she's a junior champion at, at the US Open. I think, you know, they obviously had high hopes for her when she was um, bursting onto the, the adult tour. So it's nice that she's kind of finally maybe coming of age. Um, I don't really like that term, but you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, I think she's um, obviously, I mean, I can't get over with Buskova she's the one that um and I know I've said this before like a pigeon landed on her head or something at Roland Garros <laughs> Kim, several, give her more credit than that come on don't, don't think of her <laughs> as the player who had a pigeon land on her head so I just whenever I see her name I just think of pigeons <laughs> <laughs> sorry Marie I do apologize um Let's move on to the men's action from yesterday because uh, we obviously had Novak against Tim van Rijthoven, uh late on centre court. Um, Tim got a set. Uh, it was it was quite interesting to see. I mean, I was just enjoying shouting, come on, Tim, at the telly at home, reminded me of my childhood. It got a real resurgence in that match on, on centre court, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the third and fourth sets were, were quickly, you know, stamped out. Novak was very quick to to get right on it, and and Tim, you know, wasn't really able to to extend it any further. But I thought, you know, for for about half a set in the second set, um, you know, Tim was was flying high, and you know, he did really, really well. I was very impressed with what I saw, and I think considering where he's come from, and uh, in the last like month to if you'd have said to him, oh, you're going to win your home tournament as a wild card, then get a wild card to Wimbledon and play, you know, the defending champion in the fourth round on centre court in a night match, essentially. Like, I think he would have been absolutely over the moon. So I think it's just really nice for him to have had this experience. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do on the tour going forward. I hope this isn't sort of like a one hit um, wonder. <laughs> I know what you mean. And uh, yeah, it was a smart move, I think, by... Wimbledon to give him a main draw wild card it was it certainly lived up he certainly lived up to the billing didn't he and uh, you know taking a set off off Djokovic I was actually in there I was able to get in for this match and uh, you know watching it in person for um, you know sets two three and four I really kind of got the sense with with Van Rijthoven that yes he's got a, a big serve but there's more to his game than that and it still feels it still feels relatively raw, and I think you saw that as the the match went on. You just felt that when the you know when 
there were extended rallies or the points got into more of a, a rally situation more often than not Novak Djokovic was coming out on top but you can never count out I don't think anyone who's got a serve like his it was just so massive and um, you know there has to be credit given to, to Novak Djokovic in terms of how he dealt with it because you just felt like everything was kind of against him the clock was against him the roof was closed, so you think those conditions would have suited the the serve of Van Rijthoven. The crowd were, you know, wanting it to go on, and you know, watching Djokovic return this guy's serve, it was it was very very impressive. And you know, even in that second set that that Van Rijthoven uh, won uh, after what felt like lots and lots of of juices on this serve. He got to a point, Kim, when he was just serving two first serves as opposed to a first serve and the second serve. Because, you know, given the quality of, of Djokovic and, and how he was playing at the time, he just felt that, you know, that was the, the strategy to go with. And again, I just think that shows just how well Djokovic was, you know, seeing the ball, um, you know, on the court. And, um, you know, it's a little bit, I think, of a warning sign in terms of you know, going forward in the tournament that, yes, he did drop a set, but the way he bounced back, and bounce back relatively comfortably from, you know, losing that second set. It's, uh, I think it's a warning sign to the rest of the, the field still in the competition. Yeah, I mean, he is the best returner in the game, isn't he? And so if anyone's mm. going to be able to return Tim Van Rijthoven's serve, um, it's it's Novak. And yes, um, scary in a way. I, I, I still think he's, he's definitely the man to be, as I'm sure most people do. Um, it's hard to look beyond him. Um, I mean, he'll be up against Yannick Sinner in the quarterfinals tomorrow because Sinner managed to come past um, Carlos Alcaraz in four sets, 6-1, 6-4, 6-7, Sinner's recent partnership with Darren Cahill perhaps coming into good effect mm. here because he'd never won a match on grass before um, this tournament, which is somewhat surprising. But um, now he's into the quarters. And, you know, he was definitely the better player against Alcaraz, especially for the first two sets. Um, I mean, I was pleased that it it got a bit close that Alcaraz was able to to make a a match of it by clinching that that third set, although he did save um, match points to do so. But um, yeah, big win for Sinner, I think. You know, making it through to another Grand Slam quarterfinal. You know, previously has done that at, at Roland Garros, but especially on grass where he hasn't had any <laughs> form uh, going into this this tournament so far. Yeah, we did sort of suspect that even though Alcaraz was the higher seeded, that Sinner. He was going into this as a favourite and, you know, it is a little bit surprised, I think, given, you know, what he hasn't, you know, hasn't done on, on grass. And it shows, I think, the leaps and bounds that, you know, he's gone into this tournament and made the quarterfinals. Yes, it is going to be a very tough matchup against, you know, Novak Djokovic. And, uh, you know, it's a player that he's obviously played before and he's had experiences against him but yeah that's going to be a tough proposition which it looks like it will probably be you know on on center court um Djokovic is you know <laughs> Djokovic is very special court so yeah very very tough for him um you know another good performance from Alcaraz again it was it was impressive the way he took that that third set and I thought he was going to give a little bit more in that fourth but uh yeah Yannick Sinner sort of wrestled control back um and was able to get it done in four i thought it was kim gonna go to five i thought maybe we would have like a you know an alcaraz special and coming back from the brink and and two sets down but um yeah sinner i think showing even though he necessarily doesn't have the experience of you know playing on on grass courts he's got that experience of being on the tour for a few years now 
those big matches, maybe not at Grand Sam's, but uh, certainly at the, you know, the Masters level. And I think he used that to his, you know, his advantage, um, you know, against Alcaraz. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, Sinner's also still extremely young. He's only, I think, like mm. a year or two older than Alcaraz. So, so much was said about Sinner being, you know, the youngest person to do this, that and the other when he sort of started playing on the tour. And, and now Alcaraz has kind of stolen that mantle from him. So I think it's, it's you know, this is obviously a match of two very, very young, exciting, talented prospects. All the fuss recently has been on Alcaraz. So, you know, perhaps it's time for Sinner to steal a little bit of that limelight back, perhaps. But um, yeah, we'll see how they get on. They are on, on centre tomorrow, Sinner against Djokovic. Um, the other quarterfinal tomorrow is, is of course, featuring Britain's Cam Norrie uh, against David Goffin. Um, I mean, super pleased for Nori. You know, he, I feel like we haven't really spoken much about him. Um, neither has the media, to be quite honest with you. They've they've not gone mad over him like they would if if this was Andy Murray. But I think that's probably helped Nori. He's he's been able to just sort of comfortably get on with with his tennis. And he came through in straight sets against Tommy Paul, six four seven five six four, um, into this stage of a slam for the first time. Um, very calm and, and sort of composed performance. And um, he's got David Goffin next, which you know. David Goffin, yes, he's come through to the quarterfinals. Absolutely, you know, very nifty player, very difficult to play against. But surely this is just a brilliant opportunity for Nori to to go one step further and set up his first, you know, semi-final against probably Djokovic. I mean, surely he can um, mm. can outlast Goffin because Goffin will be a bit tired as well from his match, won't he? Yes, yeah. Four hours, 36 against TFO coming through 7-5 in the fifth that was uh again one of the matches of the tournament so far i think tiafo you know was very close think he had break points to serve for it wasn't able to do it um but yeah certainly a big opportunity for cam david goffan kim i feel like this is a is an amazing story for him because you know he's had his own in, you know, injury troubles i thought you know he was a little bit over the hill i thought you know his peak was Belgium in the Davis Cup final against uh, you know Andy Murray all those years ago but um the way he has come back you can never count him out on a, on a grass court and um you know he was just able to kind of eke it over the line but certainly Cam Norrie will be going into that match full of confidence not just because of the amount of time I think you know Goffin um you know has, has just kind of spent on court but um coming through against Tommy Paul tricky customer hadn't dropped a set going into round four again I was sort of match side for it there was that little wobble um you know in the second set where I think he he served for it and and Tommy Paul broke back for five all but again didn't get down in the dumps just got on with it got straight back to breaking Paul and then serving it out and um yeah he again I thought he was just playing some very very solid tennis did what he needed to do and Tommy Paul although I think you know he you know, was coming in, into it, I think, in his position of I'm a cool guy with my backwards cap and I'm going to see what I can do here. Cam Norrie, I just think, lived up to his seeding. And um, although the scoreline looked close, I never really felt that, you know, Norrie was in any sort of real danger. No, exactly. I think when he, when he went sort of two sets up, I thought, you know, mm. I, I felt safe. <laughs> Didn't have that yeah. sort of typical like, oh God, uh, moment with with a British <laughs> player on court. <laughs> I, Kim, I will say though, with Tommy Paul, and and I'll what when listeners, whenever you watch him play, if the the TV camera catches it, his setup before a point is is amazing. It's like I wish I could do that. He he flips his racket, 
then spins it like 360 horizontally a couple of times and then gets ready to you know to get gets into kind of the ready position um it's it's really bizarre i don't know if it's just like a superstition he has or that's you know that's his routine but uh he does like these little tricks before he starts the point and i just think it again just like he was a very cool customer didn't really get too flustered or frustrated just played his game and and came up a bit short and uh i did love kim i heard I heard a rumor that he was in the pub that evening um, having a drink. So um, I quite, that sort of endeared him to me a little bit after defeat as well. Well, if it's after your match, then go for it. There's <laughs> quite a nice like variety of pubs around that area. So go for it, Tommy Paul. Uh, enjoy yourself. I mean, I wonder if, if Jamie Murray and Venus Williams went to the pub after their uh, <laughs> their mixed doubles. Because... Oh, they will have needed a strong drink after, uh, after that defeat, right? What a, what a match. Uh, they had five match points, but they lost to um, British pair Johnny Omar and Alicia Barnett who you know fair enough British crowd can't be too annoyed that they beat uh Jamie and Venus but yeah 1816 in a in the third set tie break um this was out on court two um really exciting match and uh, yeah obviously a bit of a shame that Jamie and Venus you know amazing pairing uh everyone would love to have seen them continue through the draw but it wasn't to be, but at least we've got some Brits through um, from that win anyway. And um, yeah, I mean, the Brits in terms of the doubles, men's doubles, a lot of the Brits are out, but Joe Salisbury is still going strong, which is good um, as the top seed with, with Rajiv Ram. But uh, yeah, Jamie Murray is also out of the, the men's doubles. And uh, also Lloyd Glassfall is out as well uh, with his partner, Heli Ovara. They they came back to a fifth set against Mektic and Pavic. And then lost, which is uh, a bit frustrating. <laughs> As I said, very frustrating for Jamie Murray and Venus Williams. I genuinely thought they weren't there to make up the numbers. Mm. I thought they had a shot at maybe you know winning the title. I mean, Jamie Murray's obviously done that. Uh, you know, has done that before. But um, yeah, Omara and Barnett just too good. It was amazing how much clutch tennis they were playing, particularly when they were you know all those match points down in that um in that championship tiebreak right at the end um so yeah frustrating but yeah venus williams didn't get too down in the dumps she came back for that centenary um you know celebration but um yeah disappointing nonetheless yeah and uh i mean for the women's doubles all the brits are out dart and watson lost uh to ostapenko and kitchenock who have they're really good pairing so um yeah uh, no no Brits in the in the women's doubles uh, anymore and uh, I mean in terms of the the mixed doubles um, Neil Skupski is still in it with Krojic and obviously Omara and, and Barnett but I have a feeling Sock and Goff are going to win the mixed mm. I uh, yeah they've been doing really well and I think that's a a cool pairing. So uh, we'll see about that one. Um, we'll be rounding all of the remaining doubles and singles results, of course, up in our next episode and beyond. I mean, just a little update on collector set, Joel, because, you know, we've done the fourth round now. We're over halfway through. We've still got Rafa and, and Nick Kyrgios in our collector set. So uh, all results will be resting on on what they can do over the next few days or so. Um, it's not been a good tournament <laughs> for collector set, has it? There's only been four correct um, <laughs> predictions in total oh, across wow. the board. Wow. I've lost all of mine. I'm out. Um, <laughs> I think I'm the only player to actually... Oh, no, me and, me and Joanna are the only ones to... Um, not I've got anything right so far you're in good company then. exactly um 
and yeah i mean phil is still on to get three correct right so um shout out to him he he could do it but we'll um we'll post an update later on this week uh yeah it's it's been a difficult one prediction wise isn't it, this <laughs> tournament mm, yes definitely but uh you know looking forward kim to tomorrow the order of play so on center we've got djokovic sinner followed by bushkova jabor and then on court one We've got the all-German affair, Tatiana Maria versus Jule Niemeyer. And then that is followed by Goffan Norrie. What are you, where are you you thinking? What are your thoughts on the quarterfinals from tomorrow? Who are are you picking as your winners? Oh, uh, Novak Djokovic uh, in straight sets. Jabor in straight sets. Um... I'm going to go Niemeyer, I think. Oh, uh, okay. I, I feel like she she could go all the way, actually, potentially. I mean, maybe that's... What? Well... Niemeyer? Well, yeah, she... Well, like a Radicani. Why not? It's honestly... Okay. We said at the start okay. of the tournament, like, anyone in this draw could mm. win. And then Cam Norrie in four sets. Oh, going for, going for that prediction. Um, obviously, though, Joel, third on court 18 is Freddie Nilsson and Johnny Murray in the <laughs> Invitational Doubles. Invitational. Well, I have been enjoying the photos of the Invitational teams uh, coming back. I saw one of, of Jankovic and Radvanska earlier, which is just great just great to see. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I'm i going to go Djokovic in five. Five? Wow. Yeah, I'm going to go okay. five, yeah. Um, I'm going to go Jabor in, in straights. I'm actually going to go Tatiana Maria. I think her experience, and I think she, I think she's going to make the most of. I just think she's going to, I just think she's going to teach youth a lesson, German youth a lesson. Actually, <laughs> um, so I'm going to go Maria, and then I've got to go Cam Norrie in four as well. I think. I think David Goffan. The longer that match goes on, I feel like the more it's going to favour Norrie, and uh, he's back out on court one which I think helps as well. So, um, yeah, well, fingers fingers crossed for Cam. Could, you know, Wimbledon semi-final in the offing. And also, Kim, court three, Kravitz and Mies versus <laughs> Mektic Pavic. Oh, that is decent. Yeah, that is really mm. decent, actually. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're hoping for a Kravitz and Mies win for you, Joel. I know you love a bit of Kravitz and Mies. I think Jack Sock could win. <laughs> Although, I just, quite serious, I think Jack Sock could win the men's doubles and the mixed doubles. Sock and Cuddler, they are against, you know, Cabal and Farah, uh, you know, tomorrow in the quarters. But again, quite a quite a decent scratch pairing, I feel, that could spring a surprise in the draw. Well, Jack Sock's won men's doubles here already, so he knows mm. what it takes. So, uh, yeah, and obviously he was doing well in the, in the singles as well com- compared to the last couple of years but we'll be back won't we on uh, Wednesday night to round all the action up and by then we'll know all of our semi-finalists so yeah watch this space <laughs> yes listeners I hope you've enjoyed listening to this round four catch up with tennis weekly at Wimbledon remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come on whatever device you listen to us on we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcasting platforms out there and you can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app and if you like what you're hearing then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify 
And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. So do give us a like and a follow. Let us know all your thoughts. Send us any comments or queries that you may have. And if you prefer, you can do that via email instead. We're available on tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website as well, www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back on Wednesday at Tennis Weekly HQ to catch up on all the quarterfinals action at Wimbledon. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We will see you again soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.